You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Yes, welcome again to another Physics Ed Podcast. It's another big week this week, and I must say it's about time we did some mathematics. Considering we've been talking STEM for so long, we should deal with the M, the mathematics part of that acronym STEM. And to tell you what, Asha Rao is the person to do it. She is the currently the Professor and Associate Dean of Mathematical Sciences at RMIT, which is a university down in Melbourne. And trust me, she is incredibly passionate about mathematics. I mean, you listen to this chat. She exudes enthusiasm and you can't help but be carried along with her as she talks about her background in mathematics and why she cares about it so much and helping students truly understand about how mathematics can been found all over the world. I mean, she's right into doing breaking codes for communication, detecting money laundering, and describing human interactions in physical spaces. And then behind it all, she you know she doesn't mind solving a bit of hyperbolic geometry. And she, she said herself, she doesn't mind doing a bit of reading and sewing on the side and creating some one of a kind garments, which is quite a nice sort of a way to think about what she gets up to. But tell you what. Asher is incredibly passionate about mathematics and as such was rightly awarded one of the superstars of STEM for 2019 and 2020. So look, there's a, quite a bit of a chat here and you will get carried along with her enthusiasm, I hope so. I, I personally was like, wow, how cool is she? And uh, you will get a bit out of this. Certainly to think about how you can get your students engaged in mathematics in your own classroom. So let's get right into it. Let's see on to Asher. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech and more. To see 100 fun free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. Asha, welcome to the Phys Ed Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Um, I'm Asha Rao. Uh, and uh, I, I basically live and breathe mathematics. I think that would be the best way to put it. I see mathematics in everything I do. Uh, and I must say, as I have grown older, I have, it has happened more and more. I can look at things and I think, oh my God, why didn't I see that before? I can see <laughs> mathematics everywhere, which is kind of crazy. But No, it's not crazy. Not crazy at all. You'll be singing to the heart of a few people listening in, I reckon. Yes. I, yeah, I hope so. I hope that, you know, and that's what I want uh, for young people to understand, to be, to realize that mathematics is not something separate, that, you know, that we are here and mathematics is there. One of the things I learned the other day is that, you know, the MA, the start of mathematics, MA stands for measuring. And apparently that's also uh, one of the names for God. I don't know which religion, but that's that you know basically saying and somebody turned around to me and said so you mean god is mathematics and i said absolutely that's what god is <laughs> mathematics is god god is well, it's often a question about whether uh, uh i suppose god rolls dice i suppose yes <laughs> i don't know i think i think he knows more mathematics and you know that's that's the funny thing is that mathematicians either actually count cards and play blackjack or they don't gamble at all because we know the, the odds that are against us. Well, the thing is that um, mathematics, I mean, it's, it's somewhat cliched, but it, it, cliches exist for a reason. I mean, it truly is everywhere. I mean, everything from the golden ratio through to, Absolutely. oh, gosh, just, just I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting amongst buildings here. There's quadrilaterals surrounding me. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's that's the that's the fascinating that's the fascinating thing. I was reading uh, you all 
uh, Noah Harari's book, uh, Sapiens. And he starts off with a timeline and he says 13.6 billion years ago, uh, you know, matter comes into existence, physics and chemistry are created. And you know what it said to me? It said, oh, before that, there was only maths. <laughs> and that's sometime in the future when everything, because everything which is sort of born has to die, you know, because you will run out of energy. And, and so in the end, there will be only mathematics. Physics and chemistry will also end and we will have only maths. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, because, I mean, you know, by current uh, research, we're expecting an infinite universe. So infinity is involved in mathematics. <laughs> so so by definition, you're correct. Yes. <laughs> so that is it. It's eternal. Mathematics is the only thing which is going to be eternal. Oh, wow. I mean, I must yeah. say, I, mean, I, I couldn't expect nothing less. I mean, you have been heavily involved in mathematics for many, 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 many years. I mean, I've got to ask you, though, I mean, what grabbed your fascination to start down this path in the very first place? Okay. So, you know, mathematics to me was always easy. Um, it never, I must say, funnily enough, I never thought of it as a challenge. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, for me, it was chemistry, which was the challenge. And I always went around and I was doing uni. I did a bachelor's degree in physics, chemistry and mathematics in India. And I always told all my professors that if I did, uh, and I wanted to do a PhD and it would be in, in analytical chemistry. Now I was, I wanted to do chemistry, but I wanted to do the most mathematical of the chemistry fields. And, you know, but when it came down, by the time I got around to doing a master's in mathematics, I had a two and a half year old son. And my idea was that, oh, you know, mathematics has got no practicals. All it needs, and I did a pure mathematics uh, uh, master's, and I needed only pencil, paper, and my brain. And I thought, yeah, I think that works for me. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the reasons I did mathematics. So some of the things I always look back now, and I think about about mathematics and uh, you know the, growing up in India mostly from the uh, the idea is that if you're good you would either do engineering or medicine so just doing mathematics really did not um, did not sort of occur on my horizon and I did mathematics just because it was there which is, which is very strange, very strange. And I look at it and I think, how did I do mathematics? When I was in school and when I was in uni, I would do the problems in the textbook because I couldn't find any other problems. I would just do them again and again. So I got them, I don't know, letter perfect. It almost sounds like it was almost a game. Yes, it was. Okay, can I get it better? Can I do it faster? Uh, you know, can I, can I do it more abstract? Uh, so I still remember when I was when I started my PhD, I was asked to uh, to teach part of a course which was related to my PhD, and uh, and you know first I was asked to do the course. So I did the first half of the course. I mean I was part of the students, and then I taught the second half of the course, you know, in the period of three months. And it was it was funny when I did the start of the course and the, I did the tests and the exams that were there. And I would, I would solve everything very abstractly. And the lecturer would be always surprised saying, why do you approach things from such an abstract way? And I think I just realized the, uh, the power of algebra. So I did algebra when I was, so I'm an algebraist. So my, my PhD is my, my training is in the algebra side, though I did have to learn a whole, all the mathematics, but you know, algebra is what really, really attracts me. It is in many ways patterns, and how do you find those patterns? And I remember when I did it, I had to do it when I was doing my undergraduate, but it never sort of clicked. 
I would do it. It didn't mean anything. And then when I did my master's four years after my undergraduate, that's when it was like, oh my God, why didn't I see this? This is the most fascinating thing I've ever seen is all the patterns and trying to explain to my younger uh, cousins or my nephews, you know, I had a few nephews, nephews and nieces by then, about how you had, you know, addition would then give you multiplication of what was, uh, what was a group. So of course I'm now going into so you know those things when you learn when when in school you learn things like a plus b the whole square yeah. and look at that formula and then suddenly it is you know when you do these higher algebraic structures that's when you understand what is that meaning why do we have a plus b the whole square what does that mean and that's a the challenge isn't it because i mean you can have kids wrote say to you you know a particular formula and they look great on paper I mean, they look perfect. You can give them full marks, but actually getting to truly understand what it was about moving these images around on the page. That is, that is very true. That is very true. And that is what, and I think that was that innate understanding. And I remember people saying, you, do you wrote learn? And I remember thinking back, thinking, I, I know all the formulae, you know, I never used, I never had a calculator, which is very strange because both my brothers were learning engineering. One was two years older to me, the other was two years younger to me. So both of them, while I was doing my degree, both of them were doing engineering, both of them had calculators. Nobody suggested I get a calculator. Nobody offered me a calculator. And I could do mathematics faster than both of them. And yeah. I think that's the mass, that is the amazing thing about math. So if you actually do it, you don't go to a calculator, you start seeing patterns that you can use. You sound very, very similar to a friend of mine. Um, sorry to say this, but it really yes. did. There's a, a friend of mine, Steve Sherman, who runs an outreach program in South Africa called Living Maths. Oh, okay. And he lives, like literally, he does. He lives and breathes mathematics. And um, it, it's truly, it is about just that if you truly understand what you're doing, you don't need the other peripheral tools mm -hmm. to use the central tool in the first place. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's the thing. And I said, you know, just by you saying that, there's a couple of things occurred to me. One was, I remember, you know, years ago, uh, there were a couple of kids who were selling, you know, during Christmas time, they're trying to make a bit of money. So they were coming around and, and spraying, uh, you know, a little Christmas uh, almost like cartoons or comics on windows so I, I thought all right fine and then they needed to work out how much each person would get and you know who had put in money and i was explaining fractions to them and telling them what a fraction was and how it worked and they just looked at me and said oh i wish you and you were in, in class with us and would teach us fractions <laughs> that's it it was yeah it said, this is what a fraction is what is three-fifth it is you know you take an apple you cut it into five pieces and you take three pieces that's three-fifths yeah, it's it. And actually, um, a lot of the primary teachers will be thinking, yeah, I do pizza maths and it works. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, the amazing thing, last year I was in Barcelona and I went to the Sagrada Familia. Uh, yes. Yes, and I noticed Gaudi using things like hyperbolic paraboloids. And I was like, I wish I had known this when I was teaching calculus. You know, what is that? Uh, volumes of revolution, volumes of rotation, surfaces. Like I was, I was trying to explain to some of the other superstars uh, of STEM. Uh, how do you? What is a, what is the surface of revolution? So I just looked at a pick up the mug and I said, you know what? This mug is a surface of revolution. So because you think about it, there is a base and then there is an equal side. So you, you can actually draw. You know, you can draw a line for the base and then you can draw a line which goes along the side of the mug and then you can you can rotate the whole thing and you get a mug. And that's exactly how a mug is made. Yeah, it, 
It actually is fun. I mean, I've actually, sometimes you look at structures and in some ways, I mean, I actually generally just want to ask to see whether I've been just making stuff up or not. But so like even just a circle is really just an infinite version of levers all stuck together. Yes. Just kind of, oh, good. <laughs> I haven't making stuff up. That's good. <laughs> Cause it's, no, that's, that's the thing. And that's, that's what I, what I find is that all of us have an innate understanding of mathematics. It's in us. And sometimes we just, and I remember speaking to, uh, um, you know, daughter of a colleague who has just started to teach maths and she turned to me and she said, Oh, I'm, I'm scared of making mistakes. And I said, why? Why are you scared? And I said, that's the whole thing about being a mathematician is the first time I go into any class, I always say, I never said I wouldn't make mistakes. That's up to you to catch me. <laughs> I will catch, catch me myself. if you can. Yes, and I will catch myself. And I know I have spent, you know, sometimes the whole night because I've gone to class and then done something. It's like, oh, and then spent the entire night worrying about, oh, that was a mistake. I need to fix it. And I go into class the next morning. And of course, none of and these are undergraduate students or postgraduates, and none of them have noticed it. You know what, the, no, the number of people I've, I've been lucky enough to speak with over the years, um, and, and, and the, the, some of these people have been you know, incredibly experienced, you know, I've been teaching for decades. And they all often, as like, if you had to unite them, no matter what their background is, what they're trying to teach, mm-hmm. this w- worry about, you know, this fear of failure just seems to dissolve the longer you do this. Because after a while, it's like, you know what? Uh, I messed up, but this is a better way. And so yeah. suddenly it, beca- it becomes interesting. Like, once you lose that fear, I think that's when you but, get to play properly. Absolutely. And I think that is what makes me a mathematician. The fact that I am not afraid of failing. I'm not afraid of mistakes. I'm just not afraid of mistakes. I don't want to fail massively, but I'm not afraid of mistakes. And one of, that was one of the earliest things I learned was, I think I must have been year nine or year 10, when, uh, you know, I was, I was sort of a kid, uh, and I changed about five schools in my 10 years of schooling, because my father kept moving around, or kept me, first he moved around, and then he kept moving me around, because I was in a co-ed, and then he wanted me to go to a, a girls' school, so all of that. And I would spend, I remember I would get into a school, and of course the teachers, especially the maths teachers, wouldn't have a clue of how good I was at maths. And I can still remember in, I think, year seven, year eight, um, the teachers sort of whispering to each other, I said, you see, you've seen that new girl? She's really good at maths. Because I would go, it would take me sort of, you know, two tests to work out exactly how the teachers wanted the maths to be presented. So the first test I would do okay, you know, like five or six out of 10 or whatever. And then in the second one, I would, I would get to nine or 10 and they were like, oh my God, that, that girl's good. And it was like, oh, I would just, I'm just trying to work out your system. I remember actually, it actually reminds me of this. Um, my late father-in-law was an engineer and um, he told this story. And I'm going to mess this up. Uh, sorry, family, if you're listening in, I'm probably going to mess this up, but, uh, but, he told a story where he got marked down on a particular engineering problem. I believe it was around fluid dynamics, I think off the top of my head. And he went to first principle. So the physics teachers there, he used PV equals NRT. So those letters mean stuff and allows you to work out fluids. And he got this, they got this big red mark through his paper and he said, well, hang on. I got the right result. I just used a different tool to get there. Yeah. And, that is what I love about my, you know, when I teach students, that's what I'm looking for. So I would sit and I will, I will mark things. I will never say you need to follow my formula. Mm. You 
to get the answer and because I have always worked from first principles always every time I would go back because I was you know for years I could not remember what was the derivative of cause or sign or you know the higher one so I would go and derive it I would oh, go work it out I'm going to be right honest. Um, I tend to not remember that stuff. What I wanted to do is I go look it up quickly and then I then apply the tool because I've now looked it up. Now it's fresh in mind. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the way I work. But everyone's got a different way of working things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, I usually, half the time, you know, if you're in a test, you're not allowed to have any material that you can of look course. at. It. Yeah, it was almost never. You had to remember everything. And so I was like, I can't remember this. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what I tell people, you know, I seem to have missed because of the way I changed schools. I seem to have always missed the classes where they, they wrote, learned the tables. I never mm -hmm. learned, wrote, learned the tables. I never, ever wrote, learned the tables. But I know that now, you know, I could do even uh, the 12, 13, 14, 15 times tables. You, you know, not the tables. I could rattle off the tables. Why? Because every time I needed something, I would have to say the whole tables. I could never... <laughs> You know, nobody could ask me what was six times seven when I was, say, about in grade six or you know, seven or something. Like that. I wouldn't be able to tell you. So I would have to do the entire six times tables. Yeah, but you know what? Adults to this day, just for, just for a moment, and then just stepping away from maths just for a moment, but the, I mean, uh, double D, just everyone listening in right now, right? how many days does May have? And I wonder how many people say 30 days have September. September, yes, <laughs> November. I still do. I still do this. I mean, I a bit for a reason. I totally agree with you. I still do it. Thirty days of uh, September, April, June, and November. Yeah, we all do it. I mean, February we just read. Oh, yes. Yeah. yes. I mean, a couple of these ditties. Yes. And but they used they're again a tool. I mean, uh, I know that uh, when I had to go through university, I did a biology degree, and so mm. our um, I mean, we had to I had to learn. I mean, the 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 main cranial nerves. Uh, yes. coming out of the brain yep. and it, again another way of learning it there's a there's a nice way and there's a probably a not so a more an adult version <laughs> but either way you do remember it because of these mnemonics and it, it's important yes. and, and again it's not so much hey you've wrote learn it is but can you apply the apply the information after the fact because right. i know right. a lot of friends um were very good at rote learning mm -hmm. but the issue was once yeah. the test was over and you talked about six months later they can't actually remember a single thing that they got That's their right. high distinction for that's right. And it was also, if you, if you, if you take one little thing out, they're stuffed. Yes. Actually, this is, I actually want anyone listening in, maybe you go type it in the Snopes or something like that. But um, I was, I remember hearing a story. I just want to see it's actually true. So please just write into us. But the, um, the idea that there are some spiders whereby when they're making a web, if you mess their web up, they can't fix the hole till they finish the web. Then they go back over the hole they got, met, they got wrecked and then they keep going because they're running a program all right yes but i don't know if it's a story if it's real so that's where i don't know if it's real or not but i i personally like the story so i just say i don't know if it's a story or if it's real but i mean it, uh, i think yeah it's got sometimes people actually work that way in real life yes 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 possibly, possibly. Yeah, hey, so one of the things i mean you teach mathematics professionally i mean it's part of your job and in in amongst the researching stuff and all the rest. Uh, so you, obviously you work with undergraduate students and, and whatnot, and, and they all come from different persuasions and different yes. abilities and all the rest. Yep. How, what are some of the activities or at least uh, ways to teach mathematics to make it real to these students that you find just really works? Yeah, so what I always do, whether I'm teaching maths or anything else, because most of the stuff that I teach these days is actually risk management. So what I try to do is bring it into, into their lives. So okay. 
Yeah, so one of the things I teach is is how to how to manage risks in information systems. Yeah. I teach into cybersecurity and my most of my mathematics is I now call it cyber mathematics. It's related to cyber, the digital world, all of that. So I always go, you know, you don't separate it and say, okay, that's a computer system and this that is the risk. So you have to think. And I said, no, think about when you cross the road, what do you do? Do you just walk across the road? Well, that is risky. So what do you do? You look right, you look left. Yeah, and so that is that is what that is how I I try to bring it as much as possible into real life and say, okay, forget the computers. Think about you. How do you do it? Yeah. So I was trying to explain to somebody yesterday, saying, and uh, he was like, okay, I can do this because I've got all the numbers, you know, and I've got all of these numbers. And I said, all right, so numbers, you have to be careful with numbers. And I said, all right, so I tell you, okay, you can have lunch, but it's going to cost you a hundred dollars. What are you going to say? He says, oh, I'm not going to have lunch. And I said, why? And I said, that is the reasoning you need. Why are you not going to have lunch? So it is all, all information, all numbers are relative. Well, absolutely. Right. I mean, it surprised me, like you're working in cybersecurity and whatnot, which means it's, it's a, that's a major deal. I mean, <laughs> it's just these days it turns out it is. But I mean, understanding the motivations and how people think if they're trying to get into a system. Yep means that you can at least find the areas they might try and go. I mean, uh, I suppose the analogy would be if you know that they like to go through a particular back window because it's close to the creek line where they can hide under cover so they're not seen by the streetlights, that's where they're going to come. So maybe it's the same thing. Yes, it is the same thing. And that's the thing with maths because I go back to when I was teaching maths and I was doing a lot of mathematics and that's what I do, try and bring. So we would talk about the Westgate Bridge. So if you're looking at, uh, at looking at resonance and things like that, the Westgate Bridge, the fact that why is it that when you go on the Westgate Bridge, suddenly the, uh, the speed goes down from 100 to 80? Mm. One, of course, one of course is because, you know, if you go faster, you could be more chance of having an accident. But the real reason actually is that, you know how the, the soldiers never march across a bridge? Ah, I think I know where you're going. It's like the Tacoma Narrows Bridge comes to mind. That's right. That's mm. right. The one which, which collapsed. And the whole idea is you do not want to get to that resonance. No. And actually, is it true that they had an issue like that? Uh, again, going on tangents. Actually, you're going to have to deal with me. I do do a lot of tangents. But I'm just thinking that... Something like that happened with, I can't remember if it was called the Millennium Bridge or something like that in London, where people for the Olympic Games for London, they walk across the bridge and once it starts swaying, they all start walking in unison, which then amplifies that particular wavelength that was going through the bridge and it messes it up. That's right. And causes the bridge to sway faster. So Mm. the question is, yes, why do you have, you know, bridges on average have a slower speed than after you're off the bridge? And it's mainly because of that. You do not want to. I'm sure the resonance uh, that will cause the bridge break is much, much higher than even if, you know, if, the, if the cars went at 100 on the Westgate Bridge. But you do not want to take the chance. No. Everybody would go in unison. Yeah. And yeah. match the resonance of the bridge. Yeah, I, must, I must say, I mean, like, it, it, the thing is, like, what I love talking about talking with mathematicians about just the world is that there isn't a single situation that you can't yes. apply. Mathematics. Oh, I know that'd be dreadful. But, 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 but I, I mean, I yeah, go on. It, and I'll just say it makes it fun, though. I mean, it's not it's not like a dreary thing. I mean, it's just it's it's kind of really just you know an interesting headspace to be. It means that like you might be relaxing and you're not in front of a class, or you're not trying to do a certain thing. But it's, it's really hard not to notice things. Yes. 
not to notice because I'm sitting in my in my office and I have I now have a window of for 24 years odd years or something like that. I had no window. Now I have a window. I'm looking out of that and there is this building which is going further and further up. And to me, it looks it basically looks like the uh, the towers that that you know where the space shuttle takes off. You know, they build those little towers sort of a thing and they have the space shuttle in the middle and then the space shuttle takes off and the whole things fall apart. And yep. that's what it looks. And I keep keep wondering if one day there's a space shuttle which is going to go out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily yeah. enough, of all yeah. things, and it's just, it just a weird thing, we're actually doing some measuring, so you'll be happy. We were doing some measuring to actually create scale models of the um, SLS, uh, the rocket system that's going to take uh, people to the moon in a few years. Okay. Um, and comparing it to the, uh, the old uh, Saturn V rockets because we've got to run a show called Destination Moon because it's 2019, this podcast, and it's the 50th year anniversary of the Apollo man landing. Yes. Um, it's kind of fun to just sort of use random parts yep. to create something that's a scale model. And I, mean, I suppose when you're looking at the window, you're looking effectively at a almost scale model. <laughs> yes, yes, almost scale model. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something coming down on the side of it <laughs> at this yeah. point. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing is, you know, when I, when I would say to teachers, you know, just try to engage, try and bring it down to the level of the students. You know, once you get them hooked, then it becomes easier. Yeah. You, know, that, you have to find that hook. And that's the key, isn't it? That yeah. is absolutely, absolutely key. And so it doesn't matter whether you're dealing with parabolas or just a, a quadratic equation. It's just got to be no. what, what's yes. the doesn't matter and I do remember I, I remember years of when I'm teaching I would bring in every year it would be different and one year it was Star Trek you well, well okay, oh, please Star tell me had the mathematics of Star Trek surely is a rabbit hole we should go down the, the mathematics of Star Trek but using the words in there things like oh. the, the power be with you or stuff like that and I would say yes if you're going across the, the rescue bridge and you're going faster and this is what happens and the power will be with you yes the, the power of the, or the force will be with you and that's the police force <laughs> <laughs> things like that you know trying try to make sure that they were there with me and not you know had not wandered off in some other parallel universe. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. And, um, and this is one of the things, I mean, you've been, uh, you're one, one of um, quite a few people who are uh, involved and actually a lucky few uh, mm. who are involved in the Superstars of STEM program, which is a fantastic program yeah. uh, put on by Science and Technology Australia. Can you just let us know what you've been learning up until this point being uh, nearly middle of June or just about the middle of June 2019? What have you been doing? Okay. So what we have been learning is how, how to, how to uh, convey a message, how to be more, uh, you know, more relaxed when talking to people, um, how to, yes, how, you know, how to basically sell our message. You know, one of the major problems with scientists, STEM, mathematicians, all of us, we tend to just, you know, we understand the world around us in a different way. And we, we I know I go to, sometimes I go to conferences and things like that. And I just think, oh, you know, this is what I'm telling is talking is obvious and I talk really fast. And the audience was like, no, they don't understand. And that is one of the messages that the Superstars uh, program is trying to do, is trying to get us to give our message, to talk about what we love in a way that other people can understand us. And that yeah. we're not in this esoteric, I know, we're not on, the, on Venus where everybody else is on Earth. <laughs> and that's tough too, because I'm completely guilty of talking really fast to you like this too, because I really like to talk really, I'm really excited. Because... Yeah. This is what we do, especially if you're passionate about a thing, you will Absolutely. do that. But getting cadence to your talk means that people can follow you. That's true. 
true. And I remember doing this last year, I was talking to the final year students um, of, the, of our bachelor's degree in mathematics and stats. And I was telling them about, you know, about honors and how you should do an honors and how, you know, this is my project. And I, I was, I really, you know, I had done the whole introduction, everything and a few people. And then I got up to speak about my area. And suddenly I started so fast. And yeah. I realized about three sentences down, I was talking really fast. So I stopped and I said, okay, let's start again. And I slowed down and I could see that the students found it really funny that, you know, I had consciously stopped myself and because I was getting so excited, I was just talking too fast. And the thing is, is that it's not also the speed it's, you know, we've got clarity and things as well. Yeah. We got to deal with, but it's the choice of the words that matter as well. I mean, sometimes because you can't help yourself, you're passionate about an area, you've done a lot of study. That means that you can't help but drop the big words, which may not be appropriate for this particular audience. Yes. (laughs) That's learning that learning not to say, not to say the big words, not to assume that everybody's exactly, you know, as or fair with your area. And And at the same point, once they're once they understand what you're talking about, then start to slide in those big words, but with a scaffold they can build from, so they actually know what you're talking about. Yes, that's right. That's absolutely correct. That's yeah, and, and it's certainly something you can't turn on overnight. But I mean, I must say, uh, I mean, I've been lucky enough to speak. I think uh, uh, in the in the mathematics area, we got to speak with uh, Dr. Linda McIver uh, last year, one of last year's uh, superstars of STEM, who did a lot of work with uh, data science. Yes, and she was in incredibly passionate about what she's doing, but also incredibly good at enunciating exactly and you know, talking exactly why does it matter when it comes to data science and to education? And it very much sounds like you, you've got that same passion. Yes, yes. And that is, that is what the superstars of STEM is teaching us, how to slow down and how to, and the other thing I'm learning with the superstars of STEM is how to tell my story and not just to talk about mathematics, which is what I, I am so passionate about it. I just go and talk about mathematics. And sometimes, and even if, you know, you ask me a question about myself, I tend to go off and talk about maths because I find it so fascinating. So what they are, one of the things that the superstars of STEM is doing is trying to slow me down so I can talk about myself. Yeah, well. and, and if, you're list, if you're listening on in, if you're an educator, a scientist, an engineer, a mathematician, technologist, whoever you happen to be in Australia, uh, there is this fantastic program uh, for women to really accelerate and excel in mm-hmm. STEM and communicating that message. And I must say this program is, it's not just a, just a once off, like this is a genuine deep dive that will really make huge inroads, dividends and all the rest into Australia. And I really love the supporting. It's a fantastic program. Thank you, Ben. That is really, really good. That's really good to hear. So I must, I've got to ask, I mean, so you've got, I mean, I suppose if you're working in cybersecurity, I often like to ask people what you're working on in the future or what's coming up. How much can you actually say here? <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, most of, most of what I do is not, is not super secret stuff. So some of the things I have done and what I love to do, I've got a whole bunch of uh, fingers in a whole bunch of pies. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, what, what is called uh, a transdisciplinary researcher. So I try and use my mathematics in wherever I can. So some of the things I have done is I love, I would love to actually do this. Um, but, you know, I have, I have tracked tracking money laundering. Interesting. So, Yes, so I have, we have done that. I've done it with the former PhD student. And, but unfortunately, you know, nobody will give us real data. So we used, uh, if you have heard of Enron, Enron, this huge Mm -hmm. which went down around the same time as uh, 
9-11, I think just a year before. It, went it wasn't down. far away. Yes, yes. So 9-11 went down at the same time as ANSET went down and HIH in Australia. So around the same time, Enron went down and Enron, in Enron, there were about 10 people who were later convicted of money laundering. And mm. the important thing about Enron and money laundering is that around uh, 2002, somebody got hold of all the emails, the company emails, and dumped it on the internet. Wow. Well, we have a massive data set where we could track track the money laundering and see if we could we could uh, actually put in ideas and see if you know use what is called complex networks so complex networks so network is basically you have uh, nodes uh, uh, you know uh, people vertices we call them nodes and you have links between the nodes so for example if you have two different emails then you can consider the emails as the nodes and if one email has has or one email address rather the email addresses are the nodes and if an email has gone from one email address to the other email address then you think of a link or an edge yep so you build an entire network like a graph you build a graph and then you try and do different things, like you try and find out the, the nodes which have the most number of edges going out, most number of links going out. You try and find among all the nodes, is there a middleman? Is there a node which is sort of causing everything to go in what we would call in traffic as a bottleneck? So yeah. complex networks are used for all sorts of networks, whether they are uh, technology networks, computer networks, you know, the routers and all of that, but also traffic, uh, you know, road systems, um, shipping lanes. Uh, you could think yeah. of uh, people as well, you know, traveling across different countries, the aircrafts coming in and going out. So that network science is uses the power of data. So now, as, from, as I was saying to somebody else, that the, the computing now is allowing us to harness more mathematics. Yeah. This idea is with the graphs, but without computers being able to churn through data, without the computer algorithms to actually search, it would be very hard to do it on us, um, you know, by a person to find these patterns. So, Absolutely. And I mean, like, it sounds like this monster, almost like, you know, those word clouds you see on people's blog sites where certain uh, words are responding larger than others because they're being mentioned more in the, blog, in the yeah. blogs, but to linking them together and knowing what's coming out of them at the same time is that's right. highly, highly important. And I've got to say that the, um, the, this means like this is only one area of mathematics, but the more you hear about how maths can be applied, this is really important for kids to get because <laughs> eventually yes. when they leave school, no matter where they're going to be, Absolutely. Have numerical skills, it's going to be somewhat handy. Yep. And so, you know what, one of the things we do is online. Everything is online shopping now. So if you do online shopping, one of the things you will notice is there is a little lock on your browser. Now that lock comes from one of the purest branches of mathematics called number theory. So if you go back to early 1900s, so 1910, 1911, 1912, you will have heard of Ramanujan. Mm -hmm. He a very famous mathematician. There was also Hardy and Littlewood, and they worked on number theory. So number theory is a theory of numbers, so one, two, and going on. And numbers, you know, integers, just integers. That's looking at integers. And as they go larger, you're trying to find patterns in them. And it's one of the hardest branches of mathematics it's just ordinary numbers but when you look at the numbers it's very very hard to come up with patterns and so back then they did 
all of that work. And I, there is a very famous quote from Hardy saying that, you know, somebody asked him, what is the use of this mathematics? And he said, you don't do mathematics because it's useful. And, you know, he must be spinning in his grave because the number theory that they did then is now used in cryptography. Absolutely. And can I just interject just with this, that um, anyone who e ever says that mathematics is too pure and it can't be applied, dude, they're yeah. often centuries after the fact someone realizes what to do with it. And that it is what, that is what I try and get the message out saying the pure mathematics has to be done now so that in 40, 50, 100 years time, we have something to use. If the yeah. mathematics is not done now, there's not going to be anything to use in 40 years. 100 years because you know the the deepest results the, the most uh, earth moving results come from mathematics yeah. And yeah, i absolutely agree and especially with this quantum computing moves ahead it's only going to speed up faster than people want to create more stuff it's a very exciting time yes it is a wonderful time to be a mathematician to know mathematics look ashes look thank you very much for uh you know obviously um you making a huge <laughs> Huge impact with your students, without a doubt. That's for sure. I can guarantee that. <laughs> I, can, I, bet, I bet it's not a, a quiet classroom in your room. I bet they're, they're all humming. Um, but also, you know, it's spreading the word around and getting involved in, um, you know, programs like Superstars of STEM is really important. And um, look, hey, there might be some people who, you know, might want to get in touch. And if, if so, how, how might they get in touch with you? Um, I am on, so if you just go on to the RMIT website and, or even, you don't even have to go to the RMIT website, just put my name in with RMIT on Google, I should come up. Fantastic. So now look, we'll put all... Twitter as well as Asha at, uh, I think it's Asha Rao, RMIT, so everywhere, because I've been at RMIT so long. This has been my, my, it's not, not my, really my first job, but after I did my PhD, this was my first job and only job and I'm still here. Part of the yeah. furniture. Perfect. I like the furniture. <laughs> your idea. I, I try hard. That's what I tell the people. I'm part of the furniture and I try hard not to let anybody sit on me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone, no, anytime soon. <laughs> no, they wouldn't dare. <laughs> no, dear, dear. No, look, and uh, as usual, we'll always put those uh, links in the show notes and uh, feel free to check those out and we'll certainly have them there. Look, hey, thank you very much for your time. Um, it really was a pleasure and I'd, you know, I'd love to catch up with you another time because it just sounds like you're doing some amazing stuff and really making math sing, truly. Yes, yes, is, yes. Yeah, the music of the spheres, man. The music uh, of the spheres. Yeah, absolutely. Look, have a fantastic afternoon and I'll see you another time. YouTube, Ben, see ya. Love to talk again. Not all TPL for teachers is as awesome as it could be. I feel like there's a lot of PowerPoint presentations, a lot of sitting and listening to someone talking. Well, if you want a break from that, physics TPL sessions are fully hands-on, fully integrated with the curriculum and full of amazing science ideas that you can put in your classroom right now. Well, there we go. We just heard from Professor Asher Rao, who you can truly tell loves mathematics, but also telling people about it, getting them enthusiastic themselves. And I must say, she would have really been a blast if she was in my high school back in the day helping me understand how mathematics actually works. And in her undergraduate classes, I bet she is really, really, really good to have her as your lecturer. And um, hey, if you want to reach out to her, she is at RMIT University. So look up Professor Asher Rao, that's R-A-O. Or if you want... We'll put in a link for our own personal webpage on the show notes. It's a bit of a long link, so it might be a bit hard to say on this podcast, but you'll be able to just check out what she's been up to and what she's thinking about. So 
Are you enthusiastic? Are you going to be looking at how you can get kids to see, well, maths everywhere in your classroom? Start with shapes. Look at geometry. Look at what's happening with timings and all that sort of stuff. Get kids, no matter if they're in kindergarten, right through the year 12 and beyond, get them to be able to work not just in the abstract but also in the real, in the real world about how the world's working and then they can see why they should be learning mathematics in the first place. And that's what Asher is completely nailing, I'm sure. And a very interesting story around how they're doing all that code breaking and stuff. That's very, very interesting, I must say. Hey, look, enough from me, enough from Asher for now. And uh, we have more podcasts coming up. You've been listening to me. Ben News from Physics Education, and you can listen to this podcast, the Physics Ed Podcast, and I'll catch you another week. You've been listening to another Physics Ed Podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book, and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au